Please join me in praying. Heavenly Father, as we turn to your word, please speak to us. Speak to our hearts and our minds. Encourage us and teach us, train us, convict us where we need it. Lord, that we might be more like Jesus. Encourage and equip us in all areas of life to live kingdom first. Every day of every week of every year for the honor and glory of our King. In his name we pray, amen. Please be seated. I was 16 years old and knew not the true God. But in that strange land, the Lord opened my unbelieving eyes. And although late, I called my sins to mind and was converted with my whole heart to the Lord my God, who regarded my estate, had pity on my youth and ignorance, and consoled me as a father consoles his children. And the love of God increased more and more in me with faith and the fear of his name. St. Patrick. Today is St. Patrick's Day. And St. Patrick was born in Britain sometime in the last quarter of the fourth century to Christian parents. Um, He did not take their religion to heart, as is clear from his own writing, up until he was 16 years of age. Um, One day he was playing by the sea, and pirates nabbed him and sold him into slavery. And he would spend six years as a slave in Ireland, being basically a shepherd, but he was a slave. And as he was out with the sheep, that's when all this started happening to him. Now, during his time, he would come back, he would give his life to Christ, he would return to Ireland. More than 100,000 people would be baptized because of his preaching. 300 churches would be started. He would become a bishop. He would become this patron saint of Ireland. In the 17th century, there would be an official feast day given to St. Patrick. Today, St. Patrick's Day is celebrated a little differently. This morning, as I handed clothes to my younger kids and told them to get up, my five-year-old began to throw a fit because I did not hand him a green shirt. And he said that he would get pinched by his sister if he wasn't wearing a green shirt. Green, alcohol, um, indulging ourselves, partying, parades. You know, the first celebration of St. Patrick's Day as a holiday, not as a feast day, was in America, not in Ireland. And it was a parade. But it wasn't about St. Patrick so much as it was about Irish nationalism. It was a parade put together by Irish immigrants in the army. They wanted to remember their country. And in 1837, they had, 1737, they had the first parade. Here's the thing about St. Patrick's Day. Whether you see it as the thing we do today with green beer You see it as parades where you're acknowledging Irish. None of it requires 
St. Patrick. None of it requires knowing him. There's all of the celebration, and they're fun. I mean, I made a green cake last night that we're going to eat today. So I'm not trying to, you know, diss St. Patrick's Day. But you don't need to know St. Patrick to celebrate it as we celebrate it today. My question this morning is, does your faith require you knowing Jesus? Does your church time require you knowing Jesus? Do you know him? I mean, really know him? Because the primary person that we're looking at today does not. Judas doesn't really know who Jesus is. And it is clear by his actions. Turn, if you would, to Mark chapter 14. Go to verse 43. That's where we're starting this morning. Mark 14, verse 43. And that is the key thing I want you to see, that Judas doesn't really know Jesus. Verse 43, and immediately, while he was still speaking, so if you remember the scene from last week, he had said, rise, let us be going, see my betrayer is at hand. He's in the midst of talking to the disciples. And at one point he goes, enough. Like, we gotta stop. Which kind of makes me wonder if he would have gone back a fourth time to pray if Judas hadn't shown up at this point. But he stops it all, and in the middle of his talking, here comes Judas. Judas came one of the 12 and it's a reminder, not that he is, you know, like in case you forgot, he's a disciple. It is a just remember who is betraying him. It's one of the 12. It's one of the ones that he called to himself to be leaders. That's the betrayer. And with him, a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away. And it says under guard, it means securely, secure him and lead him away. So I want you to try to imagine this picture. It is really late at night. They're in a garden. It's at the foot of the Mount of Olives. And here comes Judas, and he has this small army behind him. We don't actually know how many people it is. Um, some of what John says, this could be as many as a few hundred soldiers. But here comes this small army. They're brandishing clubs and swords. And they don't come in, and Judas goes, yeah, that's the guy right there. He creates this kind of elaborate sign so that he can get as close as he can to Jesus with the army behind him. And what he says to the army is this, the guy that I kiss, make sure you get the right one, the guy that I kiss, seize him and secure him. What in the world is Judas thinking? Okay, do you know what this sounds like to me? It sounds like a sting operation. Like it's nighttime, we've got our secret codes, we've got our army, we're gonna get as close as we can to the target before he realizes what's going on. And then when we grab him, we're gonna grab him quickly. And why secure him? I mean, 
you've all read the same Gospels that I've read, where Jesus talks about things like loving your enemy, turning the other cheek. He's never once attacked somebody, not once. What is going on in the mind of Judas? He is acting out of fear. And he's acting as if, let's secure him, because that's really going to contain Jesus, right? If he wanted to get out of it. If you think about everything he's going through, why is he doing this? Why is he doing it this way? I mean, hasn't Jesus actually said, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be Captured, I'm going to be taken away and killed. He already knows what's going to happen. Couldn't Judas just have gone, okay, Jesus, I'm here to take you back. Like, here's one guard, let's go. Couldn't he have just, I mean, Jesus was going to do it anyway. Why is Judas going through everything he goes through? And I would make this argument. He does not know Jesus. To think that it would require what Judas goes through to make this happen would tell you he really has no idea who this man is. This guy, his teachings, his miracles for people, all the way that he's gone out of his way for everyone, his teaching, none of it seems to have sunk into Judas. Judas, in my mind, might be remembering things like this. On this particular night where this happens, there's a point where Jesus says, as they're all sitting around, somebody's going to betray me. And they're like, oh, who, who, who? And Judas leans in, is it me? As you have said. Which I can just picture, you know, getting chills if you're Judas, like, oh, no, he knows. Um, But still, why are you afraid of him? There is nothing that would ever have said You should fear him, not like Judas is. And why would you ever think that securing this guy, he stood up in a boat and commanded the wind to stop? And you think a few soldiers binding him are going to... None of this makes sense unless you really don't know who Jesus is. Yesterday, I was doing what, we, what I always do on Saturday mornings. I was going to get donuts. Except I went later than normal, and the donut place that I go to has become super popular. And there were literally no parking spots. Like, I pull in, and I'm looking down the aisle, and it's about maybe 10 on this side and 10 on this side. And I just stop, because I'm like, there's no parking at all. I pull over so people could go around me, and I'm just kind of waiting. Like, at some point... Somebody's going to pull out. As I'm waiting, a few people walk to their car, like, all right, good. I'm sitting here, I'm sitting here, you know. And you know when you're waiting for somebody, and, like, they get in their car, and you think, are you, like, having a meal or something? Because it's taking forever to just pull out. And, and I'm waiting, and, and somebody pulls up behind me, and they stop. I'm like, okay, they must be waiting, too. And then somebody pulls up behind them and stops. Okay, are they waiting, too? Like, are all of us trying to get donuts here? Because I'm just waiting, and then... The one in the very back honks. I'm like, I left giant amounts of space. I'm as far over as I can get. Finally, they go around in a huff. You know how that, well, then the guy behind me, he pulls around. Finally, somebody's starting to pull out. He has to stop because this guy pulls around me and he gives me the, 
You know, he goes on. I'm like, I'm trying to get a spot. What do you think I am doing here? At that point, this guy pulls out. He sees me. I'm not actually near him. He flips me off and then takes off. And I'm thinking, you know what? This morning when I woke up, my first thought was, I have nothing to do today. I'm going to go sit in the parking lot of a donut shop and tick people off. That's all I want to do today. You know what? I decided because I went into the shop and there was this guy and I'm behind him and he was taking a little while and he turned around and he goes, man, I'm so sorry. I'm like, oh, thanks, it's no big deal. And he's like, I'm trying to get a special donut for my wife. And I'm like, dude, take all the time you need. That's worth it. I let it all go and I thought to myself, all right, these people don't know me. None of those people that got ticked off at me, none of them know me. We all do that, right? How many times do you get ticked off at another driver? You don't really know that person. You just assume the worst, because that's what we do when we're behind the wheel. We assume the worst, and we get angry. But Judas should have known him. He should know Jesus. This isn't a parking lot encounter. He spent three years on a road trip. How close do you become with people when you go on road trips with them? Like you spend even just a week and like day in, day out, three years. He's on a road trip with Jesus. He's eating with him, drinking with him, sleeping on the hard ground. I am sure at some point they even sang Kumbaya by a campfire together. You do not sing Kumbaya and not get to know each other. I mean, all this time, and yet he still doesn't know him. How is that possible? How can you go three years and come to the end and still not know him? Here's what I think. So we don't know much about Judas. We just don't get a lot of information on him. But there is one account that we get in John chapter 12. And I just want to read the account because this gives you some insight I think there's a reason why Judas never gets to know Jesus. Even when he's traveling with him, he's hearing him teach, he's hearing, watching him do miracles, all of these things, he still doesn't get to know him. And I think this is part of the reason. John chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there, Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, and just about every time he's mentioned, that is mentioned, He's either called one of the 12. That phrase is used, I think, nine times, and seven of them are in reference to Judas. Like, you just don't forget that the betrayer was one of the close ones. One of his disciples, who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? All right, let's just ask, does he have a point? I mean, 
If you're thinking about just money, you're thinking about finances, you're thinking about ministry, like, that's a lot of money. And, and one of the things that we know from Jesus is the poor matter to him. So here's a great thing. Why didn't we sell this and use this for the poor? Now, you could easily go, yes, but what she is doing to anoint and bless Jesus is really important at this time. In fact, we're getting ready to move into the last week of his life. I mean, this is the end right here. In a week, he'll be crucified. But we get more information. Um, verse six, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Do you get this little insight? Judas knows enough to say something like, this could have been given to the poor. But let me give you a hypothetical real quickly. Judas is going, I could have sold this for 500 denarii. Guys, we could have sold this for 300 denarii and given to the poor. And then 200 of it would have been mine. He has an agenda. And here's the interesting thing. Even after three years of being with Jesus, he still has an agenda. He wants to make money. He, to some degree, is in this for a particular agenda that he has for himself. Why does he not know Jesus? Here's my one statement for you for all this morning. You will never get to know another person when you are in the relationship for your agenda. You can't. You can't see them for who they are. You don't hear them for who they are. Because what is it that you're in that relationship for? To get something. You see them as a means to get something that you want. You hear their words as a way for you to figure out. In fact, I would argue that his comment about the poor, he has been listening. But he's only been listening in terms of how do I get what I'm trying to get. Ah, Jesus cares deeply about the poor. This could have been sold for the poor. If you have your own agenda, you will not get to know another person. You will only try to get what you want for you. I believe that the reason he doesn't know Jesus is because he's after his own things. He has something that he is going for. And it's kind of interesting the way that Jesus responds in this text. Look back at Mark 14. Verse 46, and they laid hands on him and they seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, have you come out against a robber? That is what I've been trying to say. Have you come out against some guy you think is starting a rebellion? I mean, look at the crowd you brought. Do you really think what I was going to resist? Did you think I was going to suddenly tell all of my servants here, everyone, pick up swords, let's go. Like, why did you come out the way that you came out? And he continues, with swords and clubs to capture me. Day after day, I was with you in the temple teaching. 
Like, I've been out in public. I've just been teaching to everybody. Why don't you seize me then? Why wait till nighttime? Why get an army? Why bring weapons? Because you have no idea who I am or what I'm about. None. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. One thing we do know about Jesus is he takes the scriptures seriously. He takes God's will seriously. So, let me go back to the beginning. Do you know Jesus? Do you approach your relationship to Jesus with an agenda? And I want to stop for a moment. And this will be, well, hopefully people listening online will also stop and do the same thing. I just want you to take a moment. You have an agenda. What is it that you are trying to get from Jesus? What is it that you're trying to get from church? What is it that you're trying to get when you go on a mission trip? What is your agenda? Do you have one? Or is this all just about serving the Lord? Is it all about submission? About giving yourself over to the will of God no matter what you get from it? And I'm gonna take a moment of silence and I just want you to think. And I'm going to come back to something. I want to paint a picture for you. On one side, I want to paint a picture of the disciples. Judas is somewhere way down the line. But all of his disciples, to a degree, didn't fully know him. They knew him better than Judas did. But even they didn't know him fully. I want to paint that picture, and then I want to show you a picture of Jesus who is fully submitted to the Father's will and has no agenda of his own and what it looks like. So over on this side, the disciples, there's a point where the disciples come back. Jesus has sent them out. He said, go and preach the gospel. They come back, and they are super excited. You know what they're excited about? Even the demons listen to them. And Jesus says, don't don't be excited about that. Like I saw Satan fall. Be excited that your names are written in the book of life. Well, then, a little while later, there's a guy who's casting out demons in Jesus' name, and the disciples are like, oh, Jesus, we stopped him. Like, we wouldn't want somebody else doing that. This is, you know, we've got a monopoly on the exorcism thing in your name. And Jesus is like, don't don't stop him. Like, he's casting out demons in my name. Let him do that. If they're not against us, they're for us. This happens numerous times in their lives where they're like, I mean, one of the worst ones, and I brought this up a couple weeks ago, it's James and John when they go through the town, and like the town doesn't believe, and they're like, hey, Jesus, would you like us to call down fire from heaven and consume them? Why would you ever think that's what Jesus would want? But again, I, they know him better than Judas, 
But there's so many little ways throughout the ministry where you see they still don't get him. They don't get what he's about, what really matters to him quite often. Now, on the other side, let me give you a few events in the life of Jesus. This one's kind of hard for me because I would not have done the same. Jesus one day is preaching in a house, and four guys go up onto the roof, and they rip a hole in that roof, and they lower a guy down right in the middle of his sermon. And you know what he doesn't do? He does not get irritated with them for interrupting his sermon. And I thought, I think that would be me. Like, just for the moment, like, especially if you start hearing the noise, you're like, stop it. And I'd be looking around for somebody, hey, usher, would you please go fix the roof? You know, something. No. And when these guys come down, here's another interesting thing. Here's a paralyzed man that everybody can see is on a mat. And probably all eyes are right there. Because that's where our compassion would be. Jesus, he sees the faith of the four friends in doing what they did. He does not have his own agenda. He just wants the Father's will. He wants to see faith. He wants to see the word go out. But it's not about him. There's a point where Jesus has been ministering and he goes away alone. He needs to get away. He's exhausted and tired. And here comes that stinking crowd. But the text very specifically says he saw them and had compassion. Because it's not about him. He didn't have some agenda other than serving the Father. The calling of Matthew. That whole scene where they're down by this lake and, and he has preached down here before and there's this tax booth and it is very, very likely that Jesus had crowds of people and this traitor tax collector has probably at one point went, wow, I don't even have to go chase these people down now. They've all come to listen to Jesus. I can just walk into the crowd and collect what I need. I mean, he's probably used Jesus to actually get money and extort his own fellow countrymen. Was that the guy you want to pick? But Jesus, it is never about him. He just doesn't have an agenda other than the Father. And this is the guy in prayer, because he prayed, this is the guy the Father led him to. There's no harsh feelings. There's no bitter resentment. There's a calling of a tax collector to be his disciple. Lastly, and I just I need to read this, in Matthew 21, Jesus gives a parable. And at the end of the parable, he, uh, he says this. He says, For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And then here's this conclusion that he draws. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe. See, here's what Jesus is thinking. The people furthest from the kingdom are tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners. If the message of the kingdom transforms their lives, shouldn't you be going, oh my goodness, that is definitely from God. I mean, that is a message that is like transforming lives. That is from God. But no, you still had so much of an agenda, religious leaders, that even when that was happening, you still didn't change your mind and believe. 
Because you had an agenda and the power of God working in the lives of people still couldn't wake you up from it. How powerful it is when we have our own agendas and the ways that it keep us keeps us from hearing what God is doing in our lives. So you take those two groups there, the disciples and Jesus, and now back to the thinking that you were doing, the quiet thinking, the quiet meditating you were doing about your own life, and something I'm inviting you to continue doing as you leave here. Not so that you can beat yourself up. Look, all of us, to a degree, have agendas. I don't want you to sit there and go, oh, you're right. Man, I've been coming to Jesus, and really, I just wanted something from him, and man, I'm a terrible person. That's not the point. The point is, how do you ever get over your own agenda if you can't recognize it's there? How can you ever fully submit to the Lord if there's this thing that you're holding on to that you just want? I've gotta have this. We've gotta recognize our agendas to let go of them. There's a couple of things for you to think about, whether or not you know Christ. When you sin, are you more afraid of judgment or comforted by his love and his sacrifice? When you go through a difficult time, are you more angry that Jesus won't rescue you or ultimately consoled in knowing that he is with you no matter what? Do you see prayer as a duty that you feel guilty about when you don't do it? Or when you fail, you really feel bad and awful and just don't do it anymore? Or a chance to talk to your heavenly Father who wants to hear from you? A chance to be strengthened in your spirit to serve the Lord? Some of our own agendas, some of the ways that we view Christ, how we see God, they come out subtly in our attitudes and our responses. You do not have to know St. Patrick to celebrate St. Patrick's Day because we've just made St. Patrick's Day into something different. And I will probably have some green beer today in honor of St. Patrick's Day. Or maybe some green wine because I gave up wine for Lent and man, I can only have it on Sunday. I'm not sure you can turn wine green. Yeah, that would not look right. Maybe a Sauvignon Blanc. But you cannot celebrate St. Patrick's feast in any meaningful way without hearing something like this. This is St. Patrick's prayer. As I rise today, may the strength of God pilot me, the power of God uphold me, the wisdom of God guide me. May the eye of God look before me, the ear of God hear me, the word of God speak for me. May the hand of God protect me, the way of God lie before me, the shield of God defend me, the host of God save me. May Christ shield me today, Christ with me,
Christ before me, Christ behind me. Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me. Christ on my right, Christ on my left. Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit, Christ when I stand. Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in every eye that sees me. Christ in every ear that hears me. Amen. That's St. Patrick. That's the man who was enslaved for six years in a particular country, who got saved and who left that country, and God said, I want you to go back to the very people that enslaved you and save them. And he went. Everything for him was God, was Christ. I mean, it's almost so repetitious that you can lose your spot as you're reading it. Did I say the before or the behind or the under or the... Because it seems to me, based on what we have, he had one agenda, Christ. May that be our one agenda, Christ. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your servant, St. Patrick, as an example of one who obediently did what you called him to do gave himself over in surrender to your will without an agenda. Lord, I pray that you would give every one of us insight into the various agendas that we may have when it comes to our relationship with you, when it comes to our relationship with our spouse, our kids, our friends, our family, our neighbors. Lord, show us the ways that we are approaching people and we are manipulating, we are not really there just to hear them, but we have an agenda. Lord, and help us to get rid of our agendas, to be so fully surrendered to you and finding our comforts and our joy and our security in you that we can be whatever those around us need us to be. May we too have St. Patrick's prayer in us that Christ would be our all in all. In his name we pray.